My Heavenly Father, I thank you. My Heavenly Father, I thank you. Father, let the power of my Lord be great. Father, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Father, open our eyes that we can see. Open our hearts like you did for Lydia, that we can attend unto the things which are spoken. Turn us from the power of darkness unto you. Turn us from Satan unto God. And we ask this in our Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, if you will turn with me again to John 10. I'm going to begin in verse 35. And I'm going to read from verse 34 because we, I always want to, get, I want to get this scripture in our hearts. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and this is what I want, and the scripture cannot be broken. Cannot be broken. When we come to the place in our faith that we know that the word of God will stand through anything, half the battle's won. In fact, most of the battle is won. When we come to the realization that that word is above everything else, that word will stand through any storm. When we get to that faith, then our battle's won. Our battle's won. That's what we have to hang on to. Now, if you will turn with me to 1 Peter 3. This series is from these verses. <laughs> My phone thought I said Siri. God bless you. All right, First uh, Peter chapter three, verse one. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of the hair, and wearing of gold or putting on apparel. Don't let your world be your outward, your outward. Uh, adorning of the plaiting of the hair, the wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel. Don't let your world be that. Let, let it be this. But let, the hidden, that, let it be the hidden man of the heart. The heart. That's what we're after. We're after the heart. When we fix up the inside, the outside will shine. It'll fix itself. We have to get, when we fix the inside, it'll show up on the outside. It says of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, not corruptible, even an ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. That is what we're after, that meek and quiet spirit. Meek and quiet spirit. When everything else is in chaos and there is trouble on every side, the one that God has dealt with the heart can stand there in a meek and quiet spirit and just watch everything fall into place. If you will go with me to Jeremiah 8. What we're going to work on today. What we're going to talk about today. Jeremiah 8 verse 11. These are remarkable verses. This is the Spirit of God talking through Jeremiah. And he's talking about the women. He's talking about his daughters. The Hebrew God, girls. The Hebrew women. His daughters. He said, for they have, um, let's begin in verse 10. 
Therefore, this is God speaking, I will give their wives unto others, and their fields to them that shall inherit them. For every one of the least, even unto the greatest, is given to covetousness. From the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. Do you see where the problems were? They were in the men, they were in the priests, and they were in the prophets. Even the prophets were given to covetousness. You know, people say, well, this is the Old Testament. It doesn't apply now. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. When you have a man, when you have a man that is supposed to be walking with God, if you have a prophet or a priest or a minister, and he will not hearken to God, you will find this very thing happening, that the wives are given to somebody else. And the property is giving to somebody else. And there they stand with nothing. These words cannot be broken. That includes the Old Testament. Now, verse 11. For they have healed the daughter of my... They have healed the hurt of my daughter, of my people, slightly. They have healed... See what their job was? They have healed the hurt... Of my daughter slightly saying peace when there was no peace. And let's go, I'm going to go over to verse 18 with this. When, when I would comfort myself against sorrow, my heart is faint in me. But the voice of the cry of the daughter of my people, because of them that dwell in a far country. You know, the daughter of my people, it says, because of them that dwell in a far country. Why? Because that country is on its way to destroy Israel. That country, Babylon, is on its way to destroy Israel. And Jeremiah warned them again and again and again. They are coming. The army is coming. And they would not repent. And you will find in your history that Jerusalem, Israel, was destroyed. It was destroyed. Many were killed, uh, famine, and a remnant, a group, well, a large group were taken away out of Israel, and they were taken into a far country. That's where your Jews, that's what happened to your Jews. Let's read this a little bit further. It says, Behold the voice of the cry of my daughter and my people, because of them that dwell in a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger? See what God is saying here? Why have these people provoked me to anger with their graven images and with the strange vanities? That's why they were going to be destroyed. They were warned. Oh, if you read the prophets, they were warned and they were warned and they were warned and they never changed. And he said, why do they provoke me to anger? The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved for the hurt of the daughter, and my people am I hurt. I am black, astonishment has taken hold upon me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? The hurt of the daughter of my people. Do you know, if you will look at that, it says that God was provoked to anger. And do you know who is going to be destroyed along with the men? The women. With the hurt. With the hurt. You know what? God couldn't do anything about it. 
He couldn't do anything about it. The hurt of the daughter of my people, because why have you provoked me to anger? And you know what? We have a verse in the Bible that cannot be broken. That verse, that verse, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. God could not help but to destroy Israel. He warned them and warned them and warned them, but they would not listen. The wages of death is sin. And they were destroyed. They died with famine, they died by the sword, and they were taken away. Now, turn with me to Isaiah 59. Thank God, thank God, there is hope. Thank God, thank God. All right, Isaiah 59. This is why we are in some of the trouble that we are in. This is why we can't be at peace. You know, it said in, 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 in Jeremiah, it said, no peace. They said, they said there were peace and there wasn't any. We're going to look today. We are after the way of peace. We are going to find that peace. We are going to look at that peace. But it begins here. It begins by being honest. It begins by being honest with ourselves. It begins by looking at the Word of God. Like I said, the Word of God cannot be broken. Do you know the Word of God is above your feelings? Do you know the Word of God is much greater than your attitude? Do you know that the Word of God is much greater than the lies you think about yourself? Do you know the Word of God will cut you to the heart? Thank God it does. It only does to heal. Now, Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. How many have we said, Lord, why won't you help me? Have you ever said that? I have. Why can't you help me? Because the Lord's hand is not short and it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy that it can't hear. Lord, how come? Are you hearing me? How come you can't help me? How come you're not helping me? It says it right here. But your iniquities, your iniquities, your sins have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you hid his face from you. That's why those nights you feel the way you do. Because he's hid his face from you because of the iniquity and the sin. Because of your iniquity and your sin. And you say, well, I haven't done anything. I'm, I'm God's little angel. Turn with me to Romans 3. This, these words that I'm going to speak to you in Romans 3, I want you to consider and I want you to save them in your heart because there will be days ahead when these words, although they were cut today, they will comfort you. They will absolutely comfort you. And when I read them, you're going to say, how can words like these comfort you? I'll show you why after. All right, I'm going to begin in verse 9 in Romans 3. Verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles. They are all under sin. Now, are you part of all? Oh, thank God we're part of all. Thank God we are part of all. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. 
None. You know what that says? There are none righteous, no, not one. Not one. That one over there that's telling you how righteous they are, they can't read. There is none righteous. No, not one. It says there are none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. This is the word of God. It cannot be broken. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Well, I helped that old lady across the street. No, not one. You know, God's not a bit impressed with you helping that lady across, across the street. And you'll find that out later. It says, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues, they have used deceit. The poisonous asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction, and misery. Misery are in their ways. Have you ever had times where everything you tried to do was a mess? Was a mess. Destruction and misery are in their ways. It says, and the way of peace, the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I mean, you know, I've heard them say, well, I have never sinned. Well, it says right here, there is none righteous, no, not one, and that they are all, they all have used deceit. So guess what? You, I have never sinned, just lied. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. We are all in this boat. And you know what the wonderful thing about being in this boat is? God wrote this. God wrote this through the Apostle Paul. There are none righteous. God wrote it. You know what that means? God is not surprised with us. He is not surprised at the way we act. He is not surprised at how we think. He is not surprised of what we do. He's not a bit surprised. Thank God he's not surprised. Thank God he knows that we are all, uh, that there is none righteous that we are all sinners. That's what the Apostle Paul is speaking. But thank God, look at those words. They are comforting. You know why? Because there are days when you think you are the worst thing on earth. And you find these verses. Well, guess what? The guy next to you is just as bad. And God's not surprised. God is not surprised with anything you have done. And he's not surprised at how any way you think. And he's not surprised if any way you act or any of your deceitful little ways. You know, when I first started getting to this, my husband at the time, he would say something to me and he finally caught me one day. He said, how come you ask me that same question three different ways? You ever had that, ladies? How come you ask me this question, this the same kind of question three different ways? Well, I knew why I did it that way because the answer I got wasn't the one I wanted. So I'd ask it a different way. And then if I didn't get the answer I wanted, or I didn't get what I wanted, I asked it a different way. You know what that's called? Deceit. Deceit. He called, called me on it one day. I said, you're right. 
You're right. You're right. I didn't like the answer. You know what? God knew that was in me. You know what? He wasn't surprised. You know what? He came to fix it. He came to fix it. Turn with me to uh, Luke 9. I love this passage. Everything in you, God is not surprised. You know what? You can be absolutely, absolutely honest with God. He knows it all anyway. You are not going to surprise him with what comes out of your mouth. He knows the thought and the intentions of asking a question three different ways. He knows the intentions of the heart. He knows it. So you can be absolutely honest with God. All right, verse 51, Luke 9. And it came to pass when the time was come that Jesus should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. You know what this is? We, we, we call this a racist act. We call this a racist act. Samaritans weren't going to let Jesus come into town because he was on his way to Jerusalem. And they hated the people in Jerusalem. So you're not going to come here. And look what Jesus did. It says, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, will thou we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them all? Like Elias did. Ever felt that way? But he turned. Jesus turned and rebuked them. Rebuke them. And what did he say? You know not manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. He didn't come to destroy your life. He didn't come with judgment. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. If this is a theme through all my messages, thank God, that's the theme. He didn't come to destroy you. He came to save you. He came to fix you. Even like the Samaritans who didn't even want him in town. They didn't even want him around. And he said, leave him alone, I came to save him. I came to save them. And you will find in Acts 9, he did. He did. Now, I'm going to, let's go to Zechariah 9. I'm going to put a picture of hope in your heart. An illustration, a picture. The picture that I have in my heart. I'm going to try to convey it to you. Because I think if you get this picture in your heart, it will do something when you are fighting your own soul. When you are fighting your own flesh, and when you think that God did come to destroy you, he didn't. All right, Zechariah 9. Zechariah 9 is talking about when Jesus, um, well, let's go, let's go to Matthew 21. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to go there. I didn't think I was going to, but Matthew 21, it'll set it up. This is an absolutely beautiful, beautiful illustration, something we can look at. It's Matthew 21, I believe. And it's, uh, yes, um, I want you to go to verse 1. And when they drew nigh to Jerusalem, there come to Bethany, under the Mount of Olives. 
And Jesus said to his two disciples, go into the village over against you and straightway you'll find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say out unto you, you shall say the Lord has need of them and straightway they will send them. So now they're getting ready to go to the top amount of uh, uh, olives. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Zechariah. Now, turn with me to Zechariah 9. 9. Jesus, I want you to picture this. Jesus is at the top of the Mount of Olives. He is sitting, he is sitting on a colt of an ass. A little colt of an ass. And that colt of an ass has never been ridden on. And it's got Jesus on its back. And if you know colts and if you know calves, I grew up in, in farm country. If you take the colt away from its mother... And you let that colt go, it's going to run right back to its mother. That calf's going to run right back to its mother. This colt didn't. Why? Because it had Jesus on his back. It had its creator riding on him. All right? Now, Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives. And the people are yelling and screaming, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus is sitting on the colt of an ass with some garments on him, and Jesus is riding on the back. Why is that so important? Because uh, 700 years before that, a whole army came down off of that Mount of Olives to destroy everybody in Jerusalem. Jesus didn't come with a sword down that mountain, did he? He wasn't coming with a sword. He didn't come with famine. He didn't come with an army to annihilate them all, even though they were all in sin. He didn't come that way. He came in Jer uh, Zechariah 9, 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, the one who was hurt. Greatly rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just. He is just and having salvation. Having salvation. Jesus wasn't just riding down the Mount of Olives for a pony ride. He was being presented to Jerusalem. He was being presented to Jerusalem. And how was he being presented? As a mighty warrior? No. As a general of a great army? No. How was he being presented? It says, behold, having salvation, lowly. And riding upon an ass, and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. He didn't come with an army to destroy. He didn't come with famine. He didn't come with sickness. He didn't come with plagues. How did he come? He came sitting on the colt, the foal of an ass, with mercy. He came in mercy. He came in grace. But he came in mercy. He came in pity. And he came because the Father sent him. And that man, if you will look at him, riding down that Mount of Olives, is coming, presented to Jerusalem as their sacrifice. He was being presented 
to Israel. Here is your king. And in seven days, he's going to be on a cross. Here is your sacrifice. Here is your salvation. He came just and bringing salvation. Bringing salvation. Not bringing famine. Not bringing judgment. Not bringing an army. Not bringing pestilence. He's bringing salvation. He's bringing our salvation. He is bringing our salvation. Turn with me. Let's see. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. One week later, all those people that were hollering at Jesus, Hosanna in the highest, uh, peace on earth. Uh, what is it? The blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Where were they a week later? Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. But you know what? That's why God sent him. That's why God sent him. He is bringing salvation. You know what he's bringing? He's bringing your peace. He is bringing your peace. All right, verse 4, Isaiah 52. Surely he has borne our griefs, our sicknesses, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Jesus smitten, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Now look at this, the chastisement of our peace. The chastisement of our peace. The punishment, the correction, whatever it took, whatever it took to get you peace was upon Jesus. And with his stripes, we are healed. Anything that was between you and the Father, the Father put on Jesus. Anything. For Romans 3, they're none good, no, not one. Everything that makes you not good, the Father took it from you and he put it on Jesus. Can you hear that? That Jesus, that man that brought salvation, how did he bring salvation? He bore whatever it was that was between you and the Father. Whatever it was. Whatever sin you have committed, whatever thoughts, whatever feelings, whatever was in you that kept you and the Father from being at peace with each other, Jesus took. He took. He took. You know, those of us that rebelled and didn't want to obey God, Jesus took it. Jesus took it. He said, we've all gone astray. Every one of us went our own way, and the Father laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Can you hear those words? You know, some of you might have to listen to this tape or this, this broadcast over and over again, and you will find it on my website, kdwol.com. Find it and listen to it and listen to it until that thing in you breaks and you see, you see that whatever you have between you and God, your behavior, your attitude, whatever it is, was put on the body of Jesus. Was put on the body of Jesus. You know what? It was taken away from you. And you know what happened when that, when that happened? Let's keep going. All right. It says, I'm going to read verse 10. 
It says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Jesus. It made God happy to do that. It made God happy. All those things that you and God had between you two, and trust me, it was all you, was put on the body of Jesus, and it made God happy to make Jesus suffer for you. It says it pleased him to put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, verse 11, he shall see the travail of Jesus' soul with all your iniquity in it, with everything, everything you've said, everything you've done, everything you thought was on that body. And the Father saw it, and Jesus suffered for it. And what's it say? He shall see the travail of Jesus' soul, and he shall be satisfied. Shall be satisfied. You know what those words say if you will believe them? You know what those words say if you will look at them? You know what those words will say if you trust in him? God is not mad at you. He is not mad at you. He can't be. He is not mad at you. He can't be. He was mad at Jesus. He took it from you and he put it on Jesus and Jesus travailed with it. He took it from you and he put it on Jesus, and he fixed, he fixed whatever it was between you and God. God is not mad at you anymore. He is not mad at you anymore. He took it out on Jesus. Thank God he took it out on Jesus. He will not anymore take it out on you. If you will trust it, if you will look at it, if you will endeavor to get it into your heart, he can't be mad at you anymore. He took it out on Jesus. And you know what that brings you? It brings you to Romans 5.1, and we'll end there. Romans 5.1. Therefore, why? That Jesus died for you. That he took the chastisement of your peace. That he paid for everything that you have done. Therefore, being justified. Therefore, that sin being all gone. Jesus paid for it. He suffered for it. He was in travail for it. Therefore, being justified by faith. What do we have when we take all that away? When Jesus took that away, what do we have left? We have peace with God. We have peace. We have peace. We have peace with God. Why? He's not mad at us anymore. He can't be. He is not mad at you. He took it out on Jesus. He is not mad at you. He took it out on Jesus. What's that leave us? There's peace between you and God. God is at peace with you. Not because of us, because of Jesus. And we have peace with God. It took me a long time to get through this.
to get to where I realize there is peace between the Father and I. There is peace. It came through the blood of the cross. It came for Jesus taking your iniquities. It came. It came through the blood that Jesus shed for us on the cross. Get it in your hearts. There is peace between you and God. There is peace. God is not mad at you anymore. Jesus fixed it. He fixed it. You can go to the Father and he will hear you. You can go to the Father and he will listen to you. You can go to the Father and he will bless you. Why? Because Jesus fixed it. He fixed it. And you know what else? You keep walking in this gospel and he'll fix the stuff in the heart that cost you the trouble in the first place. He will take it all out. He will heal his daughters. Amen? Thank you for joining Kathy Davidson and the ministers of music from Water of Life Church. She would love to hear from you. You may reach her by email at kd at kdwol.com. Or you may write her at Kathy Davidson, Care of Water of Life Church, Post Office Box 861-327, Plano, Texas 75086. You may find her on the internet at www.kdwol.com and on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, God bless.